Welcome to the FarmD Money Podcast, where certified financial planner Derek Delaney brings financial education and observation to help pharmacists navigate their most important financial questions. Welcome in FarmD Nation to episode number 15 of the FarmD Money Podcast. I am your host, Derek Delaney. Thank you all for joining me again. You know, we are 15 podcast episodes in, and as viewership has gone up, I have had more and more listeners reach out via email to ask specific questions, so I thought it'd be a great time to have an Ask Me Anything type of episode. Uh, This episode is full of questions that have been emailed to podcast at farmd.com, so I just picked out a handful of them, and we're going to read them. I haven't had a lot of time to go over and think about it. For good reason, I just kind of want to go off the cuff just to give you guys a really good idea of first thing that comes to my mind when I read these questions so you get true insight on what I believe in regards to these questions that listeners have sent in. So if you find yourself with questions or a topic that you'd like to hear more about after this episode, uh, email podcast at farmdfp.com and we'll make sure to do another one of these episodes sometime soon to touch on more questions that you guys care about. So without further ado, question number one, do I hold the same philosophy about college as Gary Vaynerchuk? I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, which is going to college is a waste of money. First, I don't follow uh, Gary V very closely anymore. I used to, I read a couple of his books and I keep up with some of his ramblings on social media here and there. Um, I don't think he's intending for his theory or advice on college to be meant for everybody. I don't think this is a broad strokes type of issue. My belief is Gary is a grinder from everything that I have heard him say. Uh, He's a worker. He's a creator. He's a true entrepreneur. Uh, The traditional path in life where you go and get an education and you use that education to get yourself a normal job is not the lifestyle that fits his personality and his worldview. So I don't think those are the type of people that Gary is speaking to when he gives his advice that college could potentially be a waste of time and money for a lot of people. I think he's talking to people he sees like him when he was at, at when he was at that age of determining whether he was going to go and pay for a college education or not and what he would do if he were them. So that's where I think he's going with that. Um, I am on the fence about it. There is a ton of research going on right now, and I guess not going on right now, but there has been a ton of research done that shows that the path to wealth and greater job satisfaction and just more financial freedom is through college. Um, I know there are a couple, not a couple, but I know there are unique avenues people could take outside of college that could get them that same same type of personal satisfaction and same type of income and job security instead of going to college. But for the majority of people going to college and getting a college degree, or maybe not even getting a four-year college degree, maybe going and getting a a two-year degree or something like that, any sort of advanced education, I think, is the easiest way to put yourself on a track to hopefully experience and enjoy some some sort of financial freedom and some sort of prosperity financially in the future. Now, I think the one caveat to that, and it's exactly where Gary Vee goes to when he talks about this, is you need to be very conscious and very smart about how you go about getting that education. 
A lot of people who've been burned by getting a college degree are the type of people who go to college, pay an extraordinary amount of money because they go to some sort of prestigious school, and the education they get back in return isn't worth nearly the value it's costing them to attend that university to obtain that degree. A great example is somebody could go to a private school and get a degree in liberal arts studies or something like that, where the education is probably phenomenal. It's probably extremely interesting and impactful material to learn for that student. But just the way our economic system is set up, that type of thing is not valued as highly as a lot of other academic degrees you could get in college. Therefore, it's not going to provide the same type of pay and work opportunity as those other degrees. And that's where you get in trouble because you have that huge debt after leaving school and you don't have the financial engine, which is your job, to be able to afford to pay that back. And people end up spinning their wheels for a long, long time trying to figure out how to get rid of that debt. And it really, really limits their potential and their opportunity to pursue other things in life because that is there. So I think that's where Gary Vee is going with this and with his thought that the conventional path is appropriate for a lot of people, but those who don't think they want to take the conventional path or those that don't think they fit that conventional narrative, don't waste your time, money, and resources going to college because there are probably better ways for you to accomplish the things you want. And if we're looking at it through that lens, I agree with them. Question number two, if you could only recommend one thing to get one's financial life in better order, what would it be? So this is an easy one. My first thought is, and my only thought on this, if I can only recommend one thing to get your financial house in order would be to create a personal balance sheet. You can't properly manage your finances without truly understanding what they all consist of. You cannot manage what you do not measure. I think most people either severely overestimate or underestimate their financial positioning A great way to recalibrate this thinking is creating a personal balance sheet, laying it out there, putting all your assets on the left side, which is the value of your house, your checking and savings account balances, your retirement accounts, your other investable assets, your cars, your jewelry, any other personal assets that have significant value under your asset column. And then on the right side of the balance sheet, put your liabilities. These are all the monies that you owe. It could be credit card debt. It could be student loan debt. It could be a mortgage on your home. It could be a um, a car loan. Anything like that, you take the assets, you subtract it by the liabilities, and what left over is in your net worth. Now, again, majority of people would say that a higher net worth, the better. I tend to agree with that. And this is a great starting point for understanding small steps you can take in your financial life toward improvement. So if you know that your liabilities severely, severely outweigh your assets, that's something you're going to want to keep front of mind and start figuring out a way to counterbalance that a little bit. And the other thing I like about having a personal balance sheet for every individual is it allows them a place they can go to proactively do things they learn about when it comes to personal finances. For example, let's just say that you read a great finance article about Roth IRAs. You can go to your personal balance sheet and go, hmm, I don't have a Roth IRA. I have an IRA and a 401k. Those are both tax deferred. Maybe I should start a Roth IRA because it will help diversify my tax situation a little bit more, which again, isn't going to pay off significantly now, but down the road, it could potentially have a lot of benefit. Whereas if you just read some article or you're teaching yourself something and you have nothing to apply it to, the chances of you remembering it or having that 
type of education stick in your mind is probably going to be less likely. So if there's one thing that somebody could do that I would recommend to improve their financial position right now is to create that personal balance sheet because I think it opens up so many other doors that you could pursue um, as you chase financial well-being. Question number three, (laughs) what is cryptocurrency and should I buy it? So I will be totally honest. I don't know a lot about cryptocurrency. Um, I think I know a lot about it. And then I learned something new and realized I know absolutely nothing about cryptocurrency. I think a cool podcast episode would be me interviewing a cryptocurrency expert and asking a bunch of really dumb questions and kind of stumbling along. That way, me and all you listeners could learn together as we go and we don't have to feel bad about it. But to be honest, again, I am no expert. I don't want to even try to explain what I think I know about it because my guess is I am probably a very insightful person when it comes to crypto compared to all the other resources and knowledgeable people out there who I think you'd be better suited listening to and learning from when it comes to the world of crypto. I will say one thing that I have learned and one thing I've seen over and over again when it comes to cryptocurrency is the value of crypto is it's a decentralized currency, meaning it's not controlled by any sort of world bank or federal government. So having it decentralized, having it not controlled by any one entity is the the value of cryptocurrency from everything I know about it. But again, if you want anything more in depth, please, there are other great sources out there. Just do a Google search or go on Twitter. You're going to find a lot better information than I could give you here. Question number four. What is a good rule of thumb for how much I should have saved for retirement or how much I should save for retirement? Okay. Um, First, I think that is the wrong question you should be looking at getting answered. Uh, Your retirement, again, the golden years of your life shouldn't be predicated on how much money you have. You should first figure out what a happy and enjoyable retirement looks like, quantify that using appropriate assumptions back into what number you need in order to live that happy and enjoyable retirement life you had laid out previously. If you're just trying to get at a significant number, it means absolutely nothing because you could end up working 5, 10, 15 years longer than you actually needed to, or you could end up retiring 5, 10, 15 years earlier than you actually are able to, depending on the type of retirement you find enjoyable. Now, I hate leaving questions like this with some vague answer. So instead of trying to switch the question around, I'm going to do my best to actually try to answer it. So one rule of thumb that I like, and again, it's a rule of thumb that should not be used as a basis for any retirement decisions at all. It's just an old school rule of thumb. If you really want to see if you're even in the ballpark of being close to potentially saving enough to get to retirement is you take your most recent annual gross income numbers. You can find that on your tax return or your W-2. Multiply that number by 70%. We multiply it by 70% because it will decrease that number to a closer take-home number. Take that 70% number and divide it by 12. Take that number and subtract your other income sources you know you're going to have in retirement, whether it's Social Security, a pension, or something else. And then take that new number and multiply it by 12 again. So we brought it down to a monthly number. We subtracted those monthly income sources. And then we multiplied it by 12 again to get it to an annual number. Now take that annual number and multiply it by 30. This is a very, very inaccurate way to forecast your true retirement asset need, but it gives you an idea. 
That way, if you're sitting there with $250,000 in your retirement accounts and you want to retire tomorrow and you spend $110,000 a year, this back of napkin math will allow you to see that it's probably unlikely that retirement is anywhere in your near-term future, unless you have tremendous uh, guaranteed income sources coming in above and beyond the retirement assets you have saved. Most people don't spend too widely different uh, in retirement, specifically right after they start retirement than they do while they're working. Uh, So just keep that in mind. That's why I take that 70% number of your gross income. And again, some of the things you spend money on while you're working, like clothes, gas for commuting, stuff like that, drops down, but people tend to find other ways to spend that money on other things when they get to retirement in those first three to five years. After that, specifically depending on age, that number starts to change dramatically toward more of the stuff that become need-based like medical expenses as you get older in retirement. So good rule of thumb, subtract your gross income number by 70%, divide it by 12, subtract your income sources, multiply it by 12, get that annual number, multiply it by 30, And that could be a good number that you could shoot for when it comes to determining how much you should have saved for retirement. But again, it's extremely back of napkin math. Don't use that for the basis of any sort of retirement decisions. Uh, Work with a financial professional when it comes to that is my best advice. Uh, Question number five, do you manage your own finances the same way you coach others to do? So this is a really good question. Um, because I try to practice what I preach all the time. So yes, I keep a spending tracker and a personal balance sheet. I was actually a great help in determining what financial situation I thought my family needed to be in in order for me to launch uh, my business, FarmD Financial Planning. I'm always looking for tax planning opportunities to take advantage of just for personal gain. For example, the dependent care credit and the dependent care FSA changes that happened this year in 2021. I looked into that for my personal family. We're going to save some money there. Roth contributions and conversions are big ones. And then managing the adjuster gross income number on our tax return in order to take advantage of different credits we think we have a shot at taking advantage of. Um, I uphold my own person. I uphold my investment philosophy to my personal investments, which are keep things low cost, diversified, and passive. I don't hold a large. I do hold a large amount of cash right now, but that's because of my business. Um, my greatest growth asset currently is my business, so I hold a lot of cash in order to support that until we get to a place of maturity in the business. Um, when the business matures, I'll think I'll get back into investing in a few individual securities here and there, but my long-term money is going to be in low-cost, diversified ETFs. My wife and I both have term insurance. I'm a big believer in term insurance unless whole life truly provides or some sort of permanent insurance truly provides for a greater benefit. So we both bought 30-year term insurance policies a while ago for large sums because they were cheap at our age and at our health. So we're going to have those through the life insurance need stage of our life. We both are strategic on how we paid off our student loans. We snowballed them and we did a couple unique things with those student loans in order to get them paid off a lot quicker than I think most people are able to do. And then finally, I know a big one for a lot of uh, specifically young people who have mortgages is I am not paying my mortgage off any faster than I need to. I actually refinanced it uh, eight months ago, got a really low interest rate, and I do not plan on using any more of my financial resources or capital than I have to to meet that minimum payment because I am a true believer that those financial resources and monies can be spent much more efficiently and much better for my long-term financial health somewhere else. Also, I've mentioned it before briefly, 
but I am toying with the idea of considering my Roth IRA as part of my emergency fund because you can take contributions into your Roth IRA out whenever you want tax and penalty free, meaning that after my business gets to the stage of maturity, I don't think I'm going to hold as much cash in my emergency reserve as what I think a lot of other people are or what a lot of other planners recommend. But I'm toying with that. Uh, We could touch on more of that in the future. So getting back to that question, do I advise people to do with their money with what I do with my money? And I would say as close as I possibly can because it's what I believe in. And if it's good enough for my clients, it's definitely good enough for me and my family. So that wraps it up. We're out of time. Those are five really good questions. If you have any more questions that you'd like to go over in an Ask Me Anything episode in the future, send them my way, podcast at farmdfp.com. If you're looking for more information about the podcast, myself, or FarmDFP, feel free to visit the firm's website at farmdfp.com. Also, feel free to check out and subscribe to the YouTube channel, FarmD Financial Planning, for more great insight. Finally, until next time, FarmD Nation, be well. The FarmD Money Podcast is not intended to be tax, legal, or investment advice. All opinions expressed on the show are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or investment advice.